Well, good morning, everyone. Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 4, today in our study. Genesis chapter 4, we'll be looking at the first 16 verses as we look at very sad saga here with the conflict between Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength, and you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall, I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of angry people in our world right now. It's all around us. We might ask, well, what causes, what's causing all this anger, all this frustration that we have for one another. We have to remember that most of the anger we create within ourselves comes from personal problems and circumstances such as perhaps you didn't get the promotion at work again or the plans that you took all the time to make got canceled again or someone cuts you off in traffic or you're involved in a fender bender. Your waiter seems to keep ignoring your table. I hate when that happens. Or memories of a traumatic or enraging event come to mind. Someone is rude to you with their actions or words. 
your spouse keeps blaming you for your relationship difficulties or he or she keeps picking on you or your spouse continues to ignore your needs and desires. Perhaps your children are acting out again to the point of exasperation. Young people, maybe you see your parents as being too controlling or too restrictive. And for others, you've got this issue of this pandemic. Have you noticed there's a pandemic on? And we all roll our eyes. Oh, not that. Too many COVID restrictions for some and for others, not enough. People are angry for wearing masks while others are mad that they aren't. Same thing goes with the vaccines. And we surmise and draw conclusions about people just right when we see them. And oftentimes we find ourselves angry and bitter. Now, according to Healthline.com, some signs that your anger might be getting out of control or is in fact out of control, note these indicators, anger that affects your relationships and social life or feeling that you have to hide or hold in your anger, constant negative thinking and focusing on negative experiences, constantly feeling impatient, irritated, and hostile, arguing with others often and getting angrier in the process, being verbally abusive or physically violent toward others when you're angry, threatening violence to people or their property, an inability to control your anger, Lashing out in anger at individuals or even lashing out toward those you love the most. Feeling compelled to do or doing violent or impulsive things because you feel angry, such as destroying or throwing things or driving recklessly or staying away from certain situations because you're anxious or depressed about your angry outbursts. If that's the case, you might need to talk with someone to get the help that you need. Beloved, the truth is we are experiencing unprecedented times across our country where people are just full of anger and bitterness. It's not too uncommon each week to hear of some other murder-suicide in the news somewhere in our land where a family is removed from the face of the earth. And if we're not careful, we too can easily succumb to feelings of rage and frustration. Rather, we need to pursue peace with others with all due diligence. And as we'll see today, peace begins with appropriate worship of God. Peace is found through allowing Christ to rule over our hearts. Peace is found through counting the cost of our anger and bitterness. And lastly, peace is found through repenting of our anger and bitterness. In our message series, we've gone back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. Today, we're focusing on overcoming anger and bitterness. And unfortunately, in chapter 4, we see a discussion on the world's first murder. I'd like to remind you what's going on. In our discussion, we talked about what happened when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. God came and spoke, and he began with the serpent he said, on your belly you shall go, and you're going to eat dust the rest of your days. But then he said to the evil one, this woman's going to have a child. There's going to be a seed that comes from the woman who will crush your head, will smash your face. There's a little paraphrase there. It's the same thing. This seed, this child that's coming from the woman will destroy you, O evil one. 
you'll bruise him on the heel. You'll hurt him a little bit, but he's going to destroy you. Now remember, if you're the evil one, here's God who just gave you the game plan as to what's happening. And of course, the evil one is not omniscient. The, the evil one doesn't know everything that's going to take place. But now God said, here's what's going to happen. Child's going to come, destroy you. Any questions? So if you're the evil one, you're thinking, oh, no, this is bad. Must stop seed, right? Must stop the child. And you can imagine he would surmise in his mind, in his demented, bent mind, I know they are having children. One of them is going to take me out. If I can get one of them to follow me and have him take out the other, I win. Success. And that's exactly what happens in chapter 4, except we know the rest of the story, that the seed line does not go through Abel, it went through Seth. Okay, so that's where we are in our overview with what's going on. We're going to see throughout our study in Genesis here this ongoing attack on the seed line. So stay tuned for that. Four truths that I have for you this morning, but before we start, let's ask God's help. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we need to hear this so much. This is a message for everyone in this room, including me. Because, Lord, we all wrestle with this. We are so ridiculously easily provoked, and it needs to stop. So, Lord, we just ask that you would be our teacher, you'd be our guide. And, Lord, even as we complete this message, as we go to the Lord's table, there's things that we need to have sorted out before we remember all that you are and all that you've done for us. So, Lord, do your work in our hearts today. Talk to us. Speak to us through your word, we ask. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. I encourage you to take the sermon notes outline that you got in your materials when you came in, and here's the first truth from this passage, peace, first of all, begins with appropriate worship of God. Well, how so? How is that the case? Well, notice, first of all here, he, that is God, is the one who brought us into this world. That's what makes him worthy of our praise in terms of how we ought worship him. In verse 1, it says, Now Adam and knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel, Notice how it's said, with the help of the Lord, Eve first here acknowledges that her children came from God. And God, of course, knew you before you were even born. Jeremiah 1.5 tells us, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, God says. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet in the case of Jeremiah. But not only that, God has sustained you your whole life. That's why he's worthy of our praise. Psalm 71.6 Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. This is why we gather together. This is why we sing his praise, because he's made us. And the only reason we're here is because of his sheer grace toward us. And not only that, God knows all the days of your life. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 139. David writes, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them. Every one of what? Every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Our God loves us so much, he made us, 
and he is so worthy of our praise that we could even be here for another moment. But not only that, he has given us a divine purpose in life, and that's what we see for Cain and Abel. Notice what it said in verse 2. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. One of the first questions we ask people when we meet them, you know, what do you do? By way of the creation ordinances that we saw in Genesis 1:28, we were called from the very beginning to subdue the earth, to cultivate it, to work, if you will. And all vocations that uphold God's moral law are divine. We all have different gifts. And I ask you, what are your gifts? What's your giftedness? What is your purpose? And if you're not about your purpose, why aren't you? What's keeping you from pursuing what you would know God would have you to do? Long time ago, I wasn't really sure what I was going to be when I grew up, and I ended up in a mathematics program at Taylor University. Just happened to have a bunch of calculus classes, so I thought, well, I'll just get a math degree. It really wasn't my plan to get a math degree or a math education degree, but I started teaching, and I so enjoyed teaching. And I was teaching mathematics in the public schools. But then I realized there's something more cool, more awesome to teach than teaching math. And it's teaching God's word. My life verse, Ezra 7.10, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. I'm just doing that. I'm doing what he's called me to do. And by the way, you can't stop me. <laughs> If you get rid of me, I'll go somewhere else and do this. It doesn't matter. I'm to preach what he's called me to preach. He's given us a divine purpose in life. Of course, for all of us, our number one priority in ministry is ministry to our family more than all else. Don't forget that. So thirdly here, we see that he is so worthy of our worship. And this is, like I said, this is where... We start to overcome bitterness and anger if we understand that we're rightly aligned with God in our worship of him. Notice what it says in verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. That's what you should do. You should worship him. And Abel also brought to the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Worship, ultimately here, involves your whole life, not just Sunday mornings or at mealtime or in a Bible study. We're told, Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We need to have a heart not to just bring some of our stuff to God, but to bring our whole selves to him in our worship. And so I ask you, what did you bring to him today? Sacrifice of praise as we lift our voices in song, brokenhearted devotion, or even offering our resources to him through our tithes and offerings. What are you bringing to him to worship? He's so worthy of our worship. Why? He's given you a divine purpose, and he put you on the planet here to begin with. But not only that, don't forget this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, which is the ultimate peace of worship because our sin is separated from God and the only way to overcome that is to find forgiveness through sacrifice notice what it said in the text and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering but for Cain and his offering he had no regard and so we go what's the difference 
what's going on here. It's not completely explicit in the text as to why one's received and one's not. Well, when we look at the whole counsel of God, we start to see a picture of what God had ordained from the very beginning in terms of the shedding of blood for sacrifice. There needs to be an atoning sacrifice for sin. We saw this last week. Remember Adam and Eve, in their failure, in their rebellion, God provided skins to cover their sin. That is kippur. It's the idea of covering sin. So for that to take place, animals had to die. Animals were slain, so they would have skins to cover their sin. Our friend Cain comes with something from the ground. It's not a blood sacrifice. God has no regard for that. But for Abel, he has regard for what he brings. Why? Because what he brings is from the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Notice what Scripture says here. Don't miss this. Genesis 3.21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. He covered their sin. Leviticus 4.20, Thus shall he do with the bull, as he did with the bull the sin offering, so shall he do with this. And the priest shall make atonement for them, and they shall be forgiven. Leviticus 4.26, And all its fat he shall burn on the altar like the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings, so the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin, and he shall be forgiven. Leviticus 4.35, And all its fat he shall remove as, as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings, and the priest shall burn it on the altar and on top of the Lord's food uh, for food offerings, and the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. Over and over again, something must bleed, something must die, and that's when forgiveness takes place. Again, Leviticus 5, 10, 12, 18, 6, and 7. Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, the text says. And I've given it for you on an altar to make atonement. That is atonement, to cover sin for your souls. For it is the blood that makes the covering, makes the atonement by the life. By the way, this all points ultimately to Jesus, does it not? The once and for all sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here, Abel's worship was appropriate, and Cain's worship just was not. Didn't cut it. The writer of Hebrews spends a great deal of time developing this theme. Whereas in 9.22, it says, And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins just isn't and so we ask what are you bringing to God in worship this morning is your worship acceptable to him is your worship somehow defiled by your anger your sin your rebellion beloved all we can bring ultimately is Christ that's all we have to cover our sin the perfect sacrifice once and for all so first of all here as we've discussed Peace begins with appropriate worship of God. But not only that, secondly, this morning, peace is found through allowing Christ to rule over our hearts. Here we see that our anger and bitterness is our choice. Sometimes people say, well, he makes me so angry. And I'm like, that's just not true. You've made yourself angry. 
Otherwise, you're like a puppet with strings that other people can just pull the strings, you know, anger, anger, anger. No, that's not how it works. You become angry because you've chosen to be angry. Our anger and bitterness is our choice. Look at what it says in verse 5. So Cain became very angry, and his face fell. That's a great way of saying it. His face fell. I.e., his countenance went down. Anger here in the Hebrew, hara, to glow or grow warm, to blaze up. Anger, zeal, jealousy, to be angry, to burn, to be displeased, to be grieved, to be hot, to be incensed, to kindle, to be incensed, to heat oneself in vexation. Ever been there? Yeah, all of us have wrestled with it. In a word, we could say about Cain, he was hot. And his face fell, his countenance, panim, literally his nose fell, nafal, it fell, it actually went down. His countenance lowered. By the way, no one made Cain angry, but Cain himself. He chose to be angry because of his decision to envy Abel and his sacrifice. He didn't have to envy that. He chose to be angry because he refused to honor and worship God rightly. God had ordained what Cain needed to do. And then through an irrational sense of justice, Cain flat out refused to do what God had ordained. And so he took it upon himself to blame everyone else. He blamed Abel and God. It's all your fault, not mine, why I'm so angry. But not only that, we need to choose to do what's right. Our anger and bitterness is our choice, but secondly here, we need to choose to do what's right. Notice what it says in verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Here God said, look, all you have to do is do the right thing here, man. Just, and you, and which gives the impression, quite frankly, that you know what you're supposed to do, and you're not doing it. Would you just do the right thing? and you'll be lifted up. How, how, you know, it's not for a lack of information, is it, for us? We know what we're supposed to do, but we don't want to do it. And so we wrestle. But not only that, unrighteous anger and bitterness will consume us. Notice what God continues to say to Cain, and if you do not do well, Cain, if you don't get this right, sin is crouching at the door, is desirous for you. It kind of makes makes sin some sort of a creature creeping around trying to jump on you. And Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Unrighteous anger and bitterness will consume us. It'll consume you. If you just let it sit there, it'll eat you alive. What needs to happen here? What needs to be different here? Christ needs to rule over our hearts. Notice what it says. If you do not do well, verse 7, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it, which gives the strong impression that you can. You mean I can be different? Yeah, I can choose a different way here. I can go in a different direction. Oh, that we would let Christ master our thoughts instead of being mastered by them. I, it just amazes me how often we are swept away with our own thoughts and we just go off into these worlds, these horrible ideas, what we like to call stinking thinking, 
where we're thinking horrible things about people and what we ought to do and I'll show them. And we shouldn't be anything like that. We should put that far away from us. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5. Watch this. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. How are you doing on that one? Taking every thought captive. Again, a lot of times we just have turned off our governor and our brain. We just let our brains go everywhere. I'd like to remind you, it's your brain, <laughs> and it'll only go where you allow it to go unless you shut it down, unless you distract yourself, employ yourself in some other direction. Christ needs to rule over our hearts, beloved. But thirdly today, Peace is found through counting the cost of our anger and bitterness. And here, Cain makes a horrible calculation. First of all, here, anger and bitterness separate us from others. You need to understand this. The minute you are angry and bitter at people, you're just saying, go away. I'm done with you. Notice what it says in verse 8. And Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. I've always been fascinated by that phrase. This is before he kills him. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. I wonder what that conversation was like. I have no clue. I'm imagining it wasn't good. I'm, I, somewhere it went south. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. This is a horrible calculation. We need to count the cost here. Anger and bitterness will separate you from other people. Anger and bitterness will destroy your relationships. It might even destroy the other person or yourself. James 4, what's it say? What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. And you ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives, so you may spend it on your own pleasures. And you might go, well, I've never murdered anybody, but I hate that guy. Yeah. That's no better, folks. Remember, Jesus made it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're thinking it, you're doing it. Ouch. Not good. Anger and bitterness separates us from others. Secondly, anger and bitterness will separate you from God. Where there was communion with God prior, now in verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? Now there's conflict with God. That's what sin always does. Sin is the great separator. It'll separate you from other people. It'll separate you from him. Where is Abel your brother? God and Cain are no longer in agreement. There's conflict now. His face is hidden. Cain is hidden from God. But thirdly here, anger and bitterness will keep us from loving others. What's he saying in verse 9? He said, well, I don't know. I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? By the way, what's the answer to that? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. If you're married, you're your wife's keeper. You're your husband's keeper. You're your children's keeper. You understand this? This is huge because there's a lot of people who aren't keeping people anymore. We're destroying them. How dare we? But fourthly here, anger and bitterness will always bring destruction. 
Verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? By the way, the imagery here is very shocking. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Later in the book of Romans, we hear that the, all of, the whole of creation is crying out, groaning for the redemption of men. The whole earth is screaming. Why? Because we've been destroying each other for years, for centuries, for millennia. Anger and bitterness brings destruction. Someone's blood is now crying out to God. But fifthly here, anger and bitterness brings God's judgment. God now deals with Cain in verse 11, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. I mean, do you hear the imagery there? That's incredibly shocking. It's not just an assault against another person. It's, it's an assault against all of creation. When you work the ground, Cain, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. And not only that, you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. You're going to be consigned to difficulty from here on out, and you're going to be consigned to wandering. By the way, it's never a good place when you hear stories, when you hear the account saying, and they wandered. The Israelites wandered how long? 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Because of their rebellion against God. If you're sent to the east and you're consigned to wandering, it's not good. Having a place is what we need, what we're longing for, where we belong. And we're not outcasts. Lastly this morning, and don't miss this, peace is found through repenting of our anger and bitterness. Now, what we're going to see with Cain here is precisely what not to do. And it gives us precisely what we ought to do in comparison. Peace is found through repenting of our anger and bitterness. First of all, as we put on repentance and put off complaining. After he hears all this, verse 13, Cain, Cain says to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear, oh poor you. I'd like to remind you, your brother's dead. Oh, behold, you've driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I'll be hidden, and I'll be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Ah. I just want to say, would you just quit your whining? Instead of whining, what should he have done? He should have repented. He should have said, I am so sorry. I have, I have done something horrible. I had no right to do it. Instead of whining, complaining, we need to repent. Put on repentance. If you're harbor, if you've got some anger and bitterness in your heart right now, would you confess it to him and turn away from it? That's what repentance means, to turn away. I was going in this direction, let's say, in rebellion, and now I'm turning now to faith in Christ, to walk in a new direction, wherein I'm not going to be angry anymore. I'm not going to let circumstances control me emotionally. I'm not going to harbor bitterness. I'm not going to keep working it up in my mind. Oh, they did this, they did this, they did this. I tell you what, if you just keep thinking that over and over again, yes, you're going to become a very bitter person, and you're going to end up all alone. because You'll destroy the relationships or the person. We need to put on repentance and put off complaining. But not only that, watch this. 
peace is found through repenting of our anger and bitterness as we return to the presence of the Lord. Notice this horrible conclusion, verse 15. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. Verse 16, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Beloved, that's the worst place you can be. Out from the presence of the Lord. Oh, we need to seek his presence. We're told he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. I don't know what you're wrestling with this morning, but you need to seek him out. Go after him. Don't go away from his presence. When you are in distress and all these things have come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord, the Lord your God, and listen to his voice. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, fail you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant, the, the cutting, the agreement that we made with your fathers, which you swore to them. Isaiah, the great prophet, says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Here's our God. He wants to straighten it out with you. He wants to help you walk rightly. He wants to pardon you, restore you, and bring you peace. Isaiah 12, 6, Therefore return to your God. Observe kindness and justice and wait for your God continually. Joel 2.12, listen. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart, not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Even the Lord Jesus Christ cries out to us and says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. You'll finally have that peace you've been longing for. Why? Jesus says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, we have burdened ourselves with this anger and this bitterness we're carrying around with us. We're just mad at the world. Put it down. Throw off the burden, the garbage, and put on Christ and hold on to him and find the peace that you're longing for. Come to me, he says, all you who are burdened. Beloved, there's no scarier place to be than to be away from the presence of the Lord. And so I ask you, why are you angry this morning? Who are you angry with? Perhaps there are some here who are angry with God about things. Understand God's not out to destroy you. He's out to mature and grow you. Maybe you know someone that you're frustrated with, uh, someone at your place of work or in your home or family member. Something happened a long time ago and you just it's stuck in your craw. Let it go. Why are you angry? Beloved, we are experiencing unprecedented times across our country where people are just full of anger and bitterness. But if we're not careful, 
we too can easily succumb to feelings of rage and frustration, anger, bitterness. Peace begins with appropriate worship of God. Let's make sure we're focused the right way. Not on our circumstances, but on Him. Peace is found through allowing Christ to rule over our hearts. Will we let Him actually rule our hearts, or are we going to govern ourselves somehow? Well, good luck with that. I don't know about you. I can't govern my heart for more than like 30 seconds, maybe five seconds, and that's about it. I need to be governed by Him more than anything. Peace is found through counting the cost. Oh, before you lash out, count the cost. What's this going to cost? It's going to cost you way more than you know, way more than you'll ever be able to pay. It's found through repenting. Turn away from the anger and bitterness. Turn to him. Seek his face. So I ask you, do you need to repent of anger and bitterness towards someone today? I hope you do. Go before God even now and say, yeah, I'm, Lord, I need help here. You need to return to the presence of the Lord today. I've been running away from him. I need to return. I need to go home to where he is. Will you allow him to rule your heart this morning? As we come to the Lord's table, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he says this, for in him, that is in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Are you hearing that? In Jesus Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And that through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or on heaven, making peace. How? He makes peace by the blood of his cross. This is what we're talking about today. We're all longing for peace. It comes by the shedding of blood, i.e. Jesus on the cross, on our behalf. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, yeah, that's me, alienated. I was far off and I was hostile in mind against God, wanting to do my own thing. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is what Christ can do for us and has done for us if we've given our life to him. Now, many in this room have already done that, but there are perhaps those who haven't. My strong encouragement is for you to give yourself to him even today, especially as we go to the Lord's table now. Here at Oakwood Bible Church, we have an open communion table. By this is meant that all those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior through personal invitation are so welcome to participate with us with the two simple elements of the bread and the cup. The bread which represents the broken body of Christ and the cup which represents his shed blood on our behalf. If you have children with you, make sure they understand the gospel, that they've made a profession of faith so they understand the meaning of what they're participating in. If they haven't made a profession of faith, then let the elements pass till such time as they understand it. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthians issues this admonition to all who consider partaking in the bread and the cup. He writes, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the, the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. It's a pretty strong warning, isn't it? 
There's two possibilities here. You could be partaking in an unworthy manner. Perhaps you've professed Christ as your Savior in the past, but are currently living in outright sinful rebellion against him. If this is the case, I encourage you to examine your heart right now before God, before partaking in something that you are holding in contempt with how you're living. But even better would be for you to make things right in your heart with God, even right now, as you confess your sin and repent, turning back to him and committing yourself to walk with him in righteousness. And so we encourage you to freely join us. Again, if you're not willing to make things right with him in this moment, then let the elements pass. The second possibility is perhaps you're, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Perhaps you've never given your life to him. And if this is the case, I would encourage you to let the elements pass as a witness to you. If you haven't given your life to Christ, we don't want to ask you to participate in something that you don't even believe in through some sort of hypocrisy. But even better would be for you to turn away from the direction you've been going in your life and turn to Christ in faith, even right now. Right now in this moment, give yourself to him. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Invite him into your heart and life right now. Don't wait a moment longer. And then we invite you to join us in this remembrance. So let's take these kits and let's open them up, make that noise all at the same time, right? And as we prepare to partake of the bread and the cup together, encourage you to hold both elements and we will then thank the Lord for the bread and the cup separately. And during this time of preparation, I encourage you to, to be in prayer, examining your own heart before God, seeking his forgiveness and deliverance, renewing your commitment to him and remembering with thanksgiving his incredible sacrifice for you on the cross as he paid your penalty once and for all. Would you please pray aloud with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's just take a moment of silence and to reflect on what we're going to be partaking in. As Paul has written to the church at Corinth, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder Tom Elliott to pray for the bread, which was broken for us.
disobeyed and did his own thing against your will. He had a choice to make. We thank you for Abel, who did make the right choice and, and obeyed you and provided that sacrifice that you were seeking. And uh, Lord, we know that for us, it's the cross that makes all the difference. Where Christ died in our place, who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the cross, that we might live and have eternal life and live unto righteousness. So we're so thankful for that today, knowing that the cross does make all the difference. And I just pray that we would uh, draw nearer to you and that we might walk closer with you as we think about the meaning of, of these elements and that they remind us of Christ's sacrifice for us as our substitute. He was the perfect Lamb of God. So bless us as we partake now of the bread in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take and eat. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder Ron Crowfoot to pray for the cup which was poured out for us. Let's pray. Father, we continue in this memorial to what you have established. We are thankful and grateful for your way, this way of salvation through Christ, through his shed blood. We yield to it, and we recognize the sacrifice he made to clear, to pay, to atone for our sins. And I thank you that he was willing to follow your way. Guide and direct us, Lord, as we partake in, in remembrance of what he has done for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please take and drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now to him who is able to keep you even from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. You are dismissed. Have a fantastic week.